Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Can you believe this? Looking to push tempo here, the Pelicans. Hold that follow through. He posed. That's right. This is what takes you to another level. Welcome in and what the Pell is up, everybody. This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe and or follow, depending on where you are listening to this podcast, and you leave a rate and review if you're over on Apple Podcasts. We're getting close to 50 over there, so if you could drop a few more, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, make sure to tell a friend about the podcast as we're continuing to grow. Certainly doesn't help to share the pod with your homies. Now, we will be diving right into it. So, Griff and Stan Van Gundy spoke to the media just a couple days ago, so we'll be going over that today. Also, Yesterday, Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe, two new additions to the Pelicans roster via that Drew Holiday trade, spoke with the media. So we'll be talking about that today a little bit as well before we move forward into the rest of the season. The Pelicans will start practice on Sunday, so hopefully really be getting into the nitty-gritty of stuff in the season here soon. Obviously, we know the season is officially going to start in a little less than three weeks, so... uh, Things are going to start to ramp up pretty quick for this young Pelicans team. But to reference the things that we're talking about today, Griff and Stan Van Gundy, like I said, had that presser on Monday where they spoke to the media. So I got in a little bit late on Griff and then I saw all of Stan Van Gundy, but I'm only going to talk about the things that really stuck out to me and those pretty much happened in the time that I was able to watch, but The first thing that really stuck out is Griff was asked about how Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball are going to play on the court together at the same time. He said they envision those two starting together. So much like what we've heard a lot in the last few weeks since the trade has transpired, a lot of people, especially from the Bird Rights, have mentioned Bledsoe and Lonzo starting together. Lonzo kind of moving over to that two sort of position, that two guard, more of a shooting guard position as opposed to playing the point guard and running the offense in the half court and having Bledsoe do that. So this is a lot of that. that that's basically... Without going into it to that degree, that's what, what Griff addressed. And this is the same stuff that we've also been talking about since Stan Van Gundy was hired as the head coach. And he mentioned on the low post in July when he talked about the Pelicans with Zach Lowe on his podcast, he talked about putting the ball in somebody else's hands. Put Zoe on the outside, let him shoot. He does not have to be the primary ball handler in the offense. And I shared that clip on my Twitter just a few days ago, if you want to go find that a short little about two minute clip, if you want to if you want to check that out, not listen to the whole thing and go through the archives of the low post. But Stan Van Gundy talked about this type of stuff way before he was considered to be the head coach. This was July 20th, right before the bubble. He kind of made reference to the rest of the roster and said that Drew could handle the ball. Obviously, Drew is no longer on the roster. Brandon Ingram could initiate the offense. Zion Williamson could be a ball handler. So. 
We're probably going to see a few different looks in the offense, probably some DHOs, dribble handoff sort of situations with Steven Adams, given how good of a passer he is as well. But the offense is going to look very different this year, and we know that, especially given the way Alvin Gentry is known for running offense as opposed to the way Stan Van Gundy is known to running defense. So it is going to be a very different-looking Pelicans roster, and the way the Pelicans play is just going to look completely different this season as well. But at the same time, I'm going to go back to that podcast really fast because another point that SVG made in that little clip that I shared on Twitter is that you know Ben Simmons and his role in Philadelphia, they talked about him playing the power forward for the Sixers in the bubble. He got hurt. Didn't really happen. But at the same time, you know Ben Simmons is going to run the offense in transition. He's going to get the board and he's going to run the run the transition. And you can do the same thing with Lonzo Ball. He doesn't have to run the offense in the half court to be able to lead transition the way he does. He makes those incredible lead passes. He initiates the transition play so well and does some awesome stuff when moving off offensive boards, or excuse me, defensive rebounds and getting the outlet. So, I mean, we've seen it. Stan Van Gundy said he's the best looking in terms of looking up and and finding the open guy in the transition part of the game. And he said he's the best that he's probably will, will have coached. I should say probably best he's seen in that facet of his game. And you know, Stan Van Gundy's not going to just see a strength and put it to the side. Lonzo ball is going to be able to initiate transition play, although he will not play necessarily the point guard in the half court offense, which that's a okay with me. Like I said, Lonzo's phenomenal at that. I, I I agree. Obviously, I haven't been invested in professional basketball to the degree that Stan Van Gundy has, much like the rest of you. But on my on my part of it, I certainly haven't seen a point guard run transition like Lonzo Ball does. Make those basically full court passes the way he does, full court lobs, half court lobs to uh, Zion the way he does which are so phenomenal and so fun. And you can't just take that out of a player's arsenal and expect them not to do it anymore. Play into your strengths. Play into your strengths is is not something that applies just generally to life, but really to basketball here. And that is certainly one of the Pelican's strengths going forward. And, And Lonzo's best trait of his game, I believe, and the way he shot from the perimeter this last season, shooting up to, I think, 37.5%, almost 38% from the three, that is probably where he's going to be best suited for you in the offense because he's just not run the offense in the half court from a point guard. He's just not. He's just not. He's he's a good basketball player. He's great in transition, but he's that's just not who he is. And to use him there when you have Eric Bledsoe, when Kyra could be coming up and, and be really good, and, and Nikhil may very well step into a role like that because we've seen him play really well in the pick and roll in flashes. He, he did really, really well in the pick and roll against, I think it was the Grizzlies this last season is the one game that really stuck out to me. But the Pels have options at, at the guard position um, to, to initiate the offense. And, of course, like... SVG mentioned on the low post, you got Brandon Ingram, you got Zion. And we're definitely going to be talking about Zion here in a second. Uh, but to that testament, that that Bledsoe and, and Lonzo being on the court kind of thing, Griff went into a little bit, and he said that he thinks they're going to fit well together on the court because Drew and Lonzo fit well together on the court. And a lot of people have been saying that Eric Bledsoe is a poor man's Drew, which I think to a degree is fair. 
But not only do they have those two guards, like I just mentioned, you got Nikhil, you got Kyra, and then J.J. Reddick's a shooting guard as well, who I think you could start him instead of Lonzo, but Lonzo's not an off-the-bench. I don't know that he's ever really come off the bench regularly in the NBA. If he did, it was with the Lakers, obviously, but I, I don't know how you do that. I think J.J. is used to coming off the bench now, so you could probably bring him off the bench unless Zoe is hurt, in which case you can definitely start J.J. But there's a lot of interchangeable interchangeability, I guess, with the guards here, is that J.J. is obviously going to play the two at all times. Kyra's going to be a point guard. Nikhil can play the shooting guard, point guard. Zoe can play shooting guard, point guard. Bledsoe's played without the ball in his hands a lot, especially in the last few years with Milwaukee, which we'll talk about in a little bit here as well. But... What Griff really hit here is there's a lot of an interchangeability with these guards. Obviously, you don't have George Hill anymore, so the, the Pels don't have the absolutely loaded backcourt like they once did. They got rid of Frank Jackson. Uh, yeah, they don't have Etuan Moore, who's a shooting guard, small four, whatever, whatever you want to call him. Cedarius Thornwell's kind of a 2-3. You could probably throw him in here, but he's not going to get a lot of minutes this year. So there you go. He's just kind of a roster filler guy, but... There you go. They, they seem to believe that those two can play together, and a lot of us at the Bird Rights and a lot of us in the Pelicans media have talked about that quite a bit. I see that shaking out probably what's going to happen this year. He's going to be the starting lineup. Those two are going to be the starting one, two. Bledsoe, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and then Stephen Adams at the five. By the way, speaking of guards, I think it's been apparent, not like in your face, but apparent that the Pelicans still really truly believe in Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And the idea of ditching a player after his rookie season is totally foreign to me. I think that's the dumbest thing ever. Not only was it a weird season last year, but you give him one year and you say, meh, okay. You got to give him two years at the very least. At the very least. Kobe Bryant didn't have a good rookie year. Like, come on. Patience is a virtue. My friends, that is what I'm getting at. But Nikhil, I, I think it's made clear that they really do believe in him. It's very subtle, but I've noticed it. I've noticed Griff go out of it, not necessarily out of his way, but generally speaking, when I think of the guards on the roster, my first thought's going to be Bledsoe. It's going to be Lonzo. It's going to be JJ. And Nikhil's just kind of there, and we'll talk about him. I, I don't talk about him a lot on this podcast, if you haven't noticed. I, I He just... I think he could be good, but I don't see him being a necessarily a really big – he wasn't an impact player this last season. Let's say that. And he's not a guy that we've talked about in terms of Jackson Hayes, who has this incredibly high ceiling and has all the tools. And Naw has a lot of the tools, and I, I think he could be good, and, and I think he'll contribute. But what I'm getting at is they've talked about him subtly in these press conferences, but they still talk about him enough where it was noticeable to me that they – clearly want him as part of the rotation and believe in him. So that's just something little that I've gleaned. Um, I, I think he could take this next step this season and be really good. If he's really figured out the pick and roll, obviously so much of the NBA is based on the pick and roll and three-point shooting. Like that. That's If you want to learn anything about NBA offense, there you go, sweet cheeks. But if he can get really good in the PNR, he'll, he'll be set up to contribute quite a bit this season and be – Maybe, no, I don't think he'll be a six man because that's going to be JJ, but he'll be a guy who could be a really solid part of the rotation and get regular minutes this year. 
And then the thing that blew up on Twitter, believe it or not, I, I beat all the big wigs to tweeting this because I, I, I don't know why, but I did. Griff mentioned Zion playing the three this upcoming season. And if you get a chance, I'm going to point you back to my Twitter one more time. If you get a chance, go back to my tweets on Monday where I was live tweeting the press conference for SVG and Griff. And you'll find one tweet in particular that really, really blew up and had a lot of people respond to it, retweet it, favorite it, stuff like that. This was the tweet. David Griffin says he sees Zion playing the three this season, not just the four or the five. And if you get a chance, look at some of the quote tweets, look at some of the responses. And some of them are like really negative just because it's Twitter, like no kidding. And some of them are freaking hilarious. So if you get the chance, you gotta you gotta weed through some of the sucky, pretty boring responses. But there are some really, really funny ones in there too. If you if you want to check those out. So the direct quote from Griff was when we drafted Zion, we loved the positionless nature of his game. And he went on to say they envisioned him playing the three. And, ooh, this is the part that makes all Pelicans fans cringe, but bear with me. We envision Zion playing the three and defending the three. Oh, grody. I will get into that to the, get into that in a second here. I want to finish the rest of what Griff had to say, and then we'll break it all down. But, oh, God, sweet Jesus. Okay. Griff went on. He said, can you imagine a double screen set by Steven and Zion? I don't want to imagine that, Griff. Good point. And they said that he had lineups, and the Pels had lineups with Derek Favors and Zion on the court at the same time that were super efficient last season, which is true. Pelicans had the statistically the most efficient offense and defense with Zion, Favors, Drew, Brandon Ingram, and Zoe starting five last season. Very small sample size, but it was statistically before March and, and everything happened with COVID. But the issue a lot of people see is spacing. And I, I think that's fair. I mean, that's been very fair. A lot of people have talked about it. But Griff also went into it and said that not enough is made of the ability to set a solid screen and, and be a good passer as a big, which Steven and Zion Will or Z yeah, Zion Williamson are both pretty freaking good at. So I think that's fair. Kind of. And now is the part those were the few things that I really took from that portion of Griff's mentioning of Zion playing three. So I'm going to go break it down point by point, and then I'll kind of summarize why I feel the way I do. The issue for me for defending the three is that Zion couldn't keep up with fours this year. He couldn't keep up with freaking anybody. Zion was maybe, I don't know where this lies statistically, but maybe the worst defender in the NBA last season. Like, if he wasn't as athletic as he is and explosive as he is, 
I would have I would guarantee that he's the worst defender in the NBA last season because it was bad. It was really really bad. And somebody who responded to the tweet that I had mentioned said the threes throughout the league are lip, licking their chops, which I would agree because 99.9% of threes would blow by Zion in a heartbeat on the wing, attacking the basket in the pick and roll. And, oh, I mean, you hit him with a step back and you cooked him. Like, it, it's barbecue chicken, fam. Like, I don't see it yet. And it's scary. It's really scary. But offensively, when you look at his Duke tape, you'll understand the the sentiment coming from Griff, especially especially offensively. Zion was so much slimmer and, and moved much more efficiently. He didn't have that injury like he had this season with his knees, but he's had time to recover from that injury. And I'm not going to get into his fitness because that is a rabbit hole. None of us want to go down again, especially after the bubble. We were all let down so much. But in reference to Zion playing the three, just holistically, we as a society are a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of society. We don't tend to look at, at, body, look at things as bodies of work. We look at it in segments and the most recent segment. What have you done for me lately? And how efficient was it? How good was it? Was it bad? Was it ugly? Were you skinny? <laughs> and Zion, while still entertaining in the bubble, still threw some, down some dunks when he was on the court and not in a burst, looked fun. He was fun, but he was overweight. We all knew that. And even if we want to go back to when the season was going on regularly, Zion looked really good at the four slash five, depending on who was on the court with him. Melly being the spacing four when he was a five. I mean, the way Zion played the four last season, the five last season, he scored 22.6 points per game. And Zion doesn't even really like playing that type of position, that type of bully ball, that type of post-up kind of game. He doesn't really like it. And on top of that, in all reality, Zion can do so much more than that. Zion's a decently skilled ball handler. He's a good passer. He is a slasher if I've ever seen one when he's fit. And, and keeping him at the 4 or 5, at least offensively, would be limiting him and limiting the Pelicans then. And while I see the negatives of it, I understand that the Pelicans can get astronomically better if you let Zion be Zion rather than forcing him to play the post and let him be Zion earlier in his career than forcing him to play the post and make him be that. When you have a star player to the caliber of Zion, you don't push him into a mold. You let him be him. If LeBron wanted to play one single position, he'd be good at all of them. But had you typecast him as one of those positions earlier on his career and didn't let him grow, then he wouldn't be able to do that. That's not fair. This type of talent is so transcendent that you don't see it in regular NBA drafts. There hasn't been this hype 
like Zion's gotten since LeBron James, and that's for good reason. Because he is completely transcended. He is beyond, beyond in terms of what he can bring to the basketball court in athleticism, explosion, skill. (laughs) The ferocity of his dunks. I mean, he's bad defensively. To, To go back to that point, he is putrid defensively. And that will be a concern for him playing the three. But he's got to learn, and he's not going to learn if you don't let him do it. Young guys, generally speaking, are not good defensively when they enter the NBA. And Zion's played 26 games in the NBA. You can't label him as a bad defender and say he's a bad defender for the rest of his career. When the last time he defended somebody in a competitive set like setting, he was 19. And he had played 25 games in the professional leagues, in the NBA. It's not fair to say, bad defender. Okay, moving on. That doesn't make any logical sense. He's got 13, 14, 15 years ahead of him, assuming health. And you're just going to say, ah! Three quarters of his life, what it is right now, he's got that to go in his NBA career. Ah, bad defender. Okay. That makes no sense to me. You gotta let him grow. You gotta let him grow. I mean, before before you really hit me with these comments or, or really think this, if you say Matisse Thibel, oh, but he's a good defender. That's his thing. He can't do a whole lot else. He is an anomaly. Would it have been nice if the Pelicans got him? Yeah, but a lot of people would have said, but he can't do anything else. Pels fans, you know you love to be negative. If there's any niche that the Pelicans have in the NBA, it's a whole hell of a lot of negativity on Twitter. I can tell you that. Let's be positive, fam. Positivity. Zion is a bad defender. We've been saying that from the get-go. But he has to. You have to give him room to grow. You have to give him a little something. It's a give and take. You gotta give it to him. And look, offensively at the three, he is skilled. He can handle the ball. His passing skills are extremely underrated, especially. I mean, for his size, for what he does otherwise on the basketball court, he is a very, very good passer. And Giannis is known as a guy who can find players around the three and if, like, the the perimeter. And if Zion can really hone that into his game, golly, he can be really good. And he's a great offensive rebounder. His jump shot obviously needs improvement. He looks like a football player when he shoots the basketball. But he's got time on that as well. And the Pelicans have Fred Vinson. The guy can do anything. I'm sure he could resurrect the dead if he wanted to. No, he is not Jesus. But Fred Vincent's pretty damn good at his job. So, <laughs> did Jesus finish or fix Lonzo Ball's jump shot? I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, so after that sort of clarification, some of the stuff that Griff talked about when he spoke to the media, Stan Van Gundy also spoke to the media in this little bit of time frame and it was a lot of the same stuff i mean it was stuff that we all know stuff we've all talked about on twitter 
But there were a few things to take away from the presser, from Stan Van Gundy's part of the presser, that I think should be addressed. And what was really emphasized was defense and toughness. That's why you brought in Stan Van Gundy. You brought him in to establish accountability, respect, toughness, competitiveness, defense. That's what you brought him in for. And he reiterated a lot of things that Griff said in terms of that. But one thing that he did say that was really awesome is that Zion and Steven Adams will be the most physical four and five in the league. And this was his quote. You're not punking the New Orleans Pelicans with those guys next to each other. I love that. You are not punking them. Because Zion, while an incredibly nice guy, and I can say the same for Steven Adams, those guys are beefy dudes, and they are not messing around on the basketball court. If y'all want a refresher of what Zion's like, you can just go back, look at that Kevin Knox strip in the Summer League, and he did the same thing to Giannis, which was pretty freaking rad in a regular season game, and He's also, I mean, I swear the dude misses free throws on purpose just to, and even misses putbacks on purpose just to body older men. Like, and he did the thing, th- same thing to Kuz, Kuzma. I mean, he's just doing this to grown men that play professional basketball. And it's pretty freaking rad. And if you haven't heard about Steven Adams, I'd be pretty surprised by now. But... He's pretty strong, apparently, according to the NBA. Sets really solid screens. And that is going to be a broken record until the season starts. Steven Adams, he set screens. Thank you. I wasn't aware based on the other 30 times I heard it. The other thing that Stan Van Gundy really dove into that got a lot of attention is he said he's got four keys for the Pelicans to improve team defense this season, which has been such an emphasis for this entire offseason. And... The four that he laid out were, number one was get back on defense in in transition defense. Keep the ball out of the paint, cut down on fouls, and block out and rebound as a team. Last season, in terms of paint defense and keeping other teams off the free throw line, let's see if I can find this statistic really quick here. Last season, the Pelicans gave up 52 points in the paint and 25 free throw attempts in every, I think that's what they averaged every game, which is just not going to cut it. So Stan really sees the issues there, keeping the ball out of the paint, cutting down on the fouls. That's, that's two of the four. And we know the Pelicans were really bad in transition defense last season as well. While they were phenomenal in transition offense, horrible transition defense, but boxing out and rebounding as a team is also another huge point. Stan Van Gundy knows the weaknesses, he knows how to address them, he's done it before, and he's going to go out and fix a lot of these problems. Is it going to happen overnight? No. That's not how it works. But bringing in Bledsoe, bringing in Steven Adams, and having Stan Van Gundy as your head coach certainly does not hurt. The other quote that I really liked, so he, he brought up the 52 points in the paint and the 25 free throw attempts, is he said, last year... <sighs> We gave up 52 points, and we put the opponent on the line 25 times. And I, I like that he's making reference to the team as we and and said, even last year when he wasn't with the team, he's not blaming Alvin Gentry. He's taking responsibility. It's his responsibility now. 
I just love that about Stan Van Gundy. He's been awesome with the media so far. If you haven't watched these press conferences, I mean, Gentry was great too. Gentry's an awesome guy. Stan Van Gundy's been very, the way he speaks is so succinct and specific and it's just really fun to listen to him. He's, he's very explanatory. Same thing with Griff. They're both great for the media. Like, I know some people have been known in Pelicans media to just go along with whatever Griff says, but, and that's not me. That's not my vibe. I try to think independently and give that to you because I don't think it's fair to you to just roll along with what the organization says. But they're really good at speaking to the media. I can tell you that. It's really fun. I really, really enjoy live tweeting these things and listening to them speak and talk about the team. So if you haven't been able to do that yet, you can always come back and, and listen to our breakdowns of these pressers and stuff like that here on the podcast. But if you haven't been able to listen to these videos of them speaking to the media, they do an awesome job, and it's really fun to listen to. So that was their part of the pressers that have happened this week. That was on Monday. Stan Van Gundy and David Griffin speaking to the media on Monday of this week. And then today, unfortunately, I was not able to live tweet the press conference that Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe had, but was able to go back and watch it and provide a little bit of a synopsis for you here. I also tweeted a little bit about it today. So, of course, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Elliot Clough. Anywho, Bledsoe spoke to the media first today. He's definitely not a talkative dude. Quite the opposite of what I just said about Griffin, Stan Van Gundy, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about Steven, who was who was really funny and, and really enjoyable with the media. Um, but Bledsoe first. If you ever followed him, you know that he is not the most talkative or bombastic guy by any means with the media. Super soft-spoken, doesn't reveal much. I mean, even when he was going back and forth with Terry Rozier, when Terry Rozier called him Drew Bledsoe in the media, and then Bledsoe fired back and said, I don't even know who Terry Rozier is. He wasn't talkative or bombastic then. He was very low-key. I think you just run into some guys like that with the media. That's just that's just the way they are. Like, And it's not anything to hold against them. It's not anything to get upset about. It's not indicative of anything to do with Bledsoe not wanting to be in New Orleans. It's just who he is. Just not a talkative dude. Not bombastic. Not extemporaneous. That type of stuff. He's just a nose-to-the-grindstone, let's-get-to-work kind of guy. I mean, he said it in his press conference. He said, I'm a win-first type of player. Not worried about scoring the most points or getting the final shot. He just wants to help the Pelicans win. And he went into that and talking about playing with Lonzo and said the same thing of Lonzo. He knows that Lonzo is a team-first kind of player, just wants to win. He's excited to play with him, even though they both played point guard this last season. And the thing is, too, should something develop or what have you something happens with Lonzo playing the point guard if he starts to really excel in that and he gets better at the pick and roll gets better at the off the dribble kind of stuff like astronomically better given he's in a contract year who knows if that were to happen and Bledsoe gets taken out of the point guard role maybe switches to a shooting guard sort of role whatever he's done it before he played a lot without the ball in his hands this last couple seasons with Milwaukee I mean you're not going to have Giannis on your team and not put the ball in his hands. So Bledsoe's played off the ball. He hasn't played a ton with the ball in his hands a lot these last few years. Which is nice. I mean, it adds to the versatility 
of this team and things that the Pelicans can do with their backcourt. A couple other things that he said is that he sees Steven Adams and himself being huge for changing the culture in New Orleans be to, to be more defensive and to start winning. And they've both won in their career using defense. They've both won a lot in their career using defense. When he was asked about the transition from Milwaukee to New Orleans, he said he wants to bring some of that 60-win culture to the Pelicans. Not only does he think he and Steven Adams can do it just being themselves, but having what they learned in these two organizations, the Thunder, who went to the playoffs last year when they weren't expected to go at all, and Milwaukee, who was the favorite in the East and ultimately flopped, but a lot of reasons to that. We've talked about that before. No need to go into it. But there wasn't much else to take from, from Bledsoe since he wasn't such a talkative guy, but he did... Say he's excited to join this team, excited to join the transition of being a young team to being a young but competitive team. He wants to help as the players go forward. He's excited about that. He's excited about the growth of the team. He's excited about playing with Lonzo and playing with Steven Adams and playing with Brandon Ingram and playing with Zion. So good stuff from Bledsoe. Not anything too extensive, not anything too broad, but... He's excited. He's excited to contribute. And basically what he talked about, I was I was expecting that from Bledsoe. He's going to contribute when he's on the floor. He's just not going to be super talkative with the media. You're not going to get a whole lot out of him. Steven Adams, on the other hand, you can get some fun stuff from this guy. You know, on our last podcast when we spoke with Stevie Cousins, he said, you're going to get some awesome clips from Steven with the media and Fans are going to fall in love with him immediately. Check. Like, <laughs> I shared a little bit of a clip on Twitter once again for the fourth time referencing that at Elliot Clough on Twitter where he says something about for the good of the team. That's corny. I'm corny. <laughs> with an actual New Zealand accent that I just came up with on the spot. He's he's a no-bullshit straightforward straight shooter kind of guy and and that's what you got you're gonna get 100 authentic steven adams all the time now as far as actual content from the interview he was asked about exci- signing that extension right away which he has that 28 million dollars that he's making this year and then 17 and a half next year and the year after that so he signed a two-year extension on top of the trade he was asked about that. He said, he asked about why he decided to do that, why he decided to immediately sign that before even playing a minute with the Pelicans. And what he said is a lot of it is playing for Stan Van Gundy. He's an old school guy. He's a guy that he likes Stan Van, or, yeah, Stephen Adams likes Stan Van Gundy's style of coaching, the yell at you when you're messing up and get you a set straight kind of coaching and the uh, accountability and the desire to win more than anything, the team first kind of guy that Stan Van Gundy is that excites Steven Adams and having him in New Orleans for the next two years is something that Steven was excited for. He really did emphasize the team big time. He said it's an exciting team, great team all around, new coach, uh, but they're not new in terms of it's a complete rebuild and he sees where they could potentially go. 
I mean, he emphasized the team fit rather than fitting next to Zion too. He said getting chemistry and help and wanting to help the team in whatever way he can is huge. He said whatever players were all equal, which we've heard a little bit of that from Griffin and Stan Van Gundy in terms of it's not just about Zion, which it's so easy to do as the media. Like, like that's fair. But at the same time, it is about the team. It is about winning. It's not about two individuals, the veteran, the young guy. And it's not about necessarily just the fit, Steven Adams and Zion. It's about the guards. It's about the wings. How do you work it out? How do you spread the ball around? How does everybody get their touches? How does everybody score? How do you win? And if that's centered around Steven Adams and Zion, by all means. But but Steven Adams says that he is going to find his niche. He's going to find what he needs to do, and he's going to do it, and he's going to do it well. And that is awesome. It's not about him getting touches. It's not about him getting boards. It is about doing what he needs to do in his role. And gosh, I love that. And it's it's one of those things that really helps build that winning culture like we've talked about that the Pelicans need so desperately in New Orleans. And I'm just going to reference this really fast because it was really funny to me. Ali Cosell and David Grubb have been in these uh, these media sessions. Those are two guys from the Bird Rights who I've had on the podcast before. Ali asked him about his intensity off the court versus kindness and, and understanding and all that stuff off the court. And Ali called him mate when he asked him the question. And I don't think it registered with Steven, but I thought it was really funny. So Ali, I don't know how frequently you listen to the pod, this podcast, but if you're listening to this, I thought that was really funny. Uh, if you want to go back and check that out again, it's on all those pressers are on YouTube. And then one thing that hit home with me for Steven, other than the fact that he's so personable and he's no bullshit and he's really fun with the media is that another former guest, of the podcast, Will Guillory asked him about the style of play with, with the Pelicans and, and what's going to happen. And Steven Adams says he doesn't know. And he said verbatim at this point, I'm not even sure if I'm starting. That's something you can't assume. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. If there's anybody other than Zion and Brandon Ingram that you know is going to start on this roster, it's going to be Steven Adams. (laughs) Unless the Pelicans go full small ball, which I highly doubt. I just love to hear that. Like, nothing's giving to you. Nobody's just going to, like, step in and say you're the starter. Like... That's fair because he's been a starter and he's a really good center and all that stuff, but all that's out the window for Steven Adams. He says, I'm not even sure if I'm a starter. You can't assume anything. And what he really finished with after that, that that stuck with me too, is he believes in Stan Van Gundy. If there's anything to be gleaned other than the fact that he is a team first guy and he says mate all the time. is that Steven Adams believes in Stan Van Gundy. He said, quote, and he said it very confidently, and it's not getting past me or or you now. He said, no matter what happens, he'll make it work, in reference to Stan Van Gundy coaching. He will make it work. And so you've got a guy who's going to influence culture, who's going to get boards offensively and defensively, who's going to protect the rim, who's going to teach young guys, who has already bought in, hasn't played a minute for the New Orleans Pelicans, and he has bought into Stan Van Gundy. J.J. Reddick's bought into Stan Van Gundy, and he's the most 
respected veteran who's been around for the longest amount of time with this team. Eric Bledsoe. Stan Van Gundy freaking loves Eric Bledsoe the way he plays. That was a really big takeaway for me, too, from SVG's conference, his press conference. And you got three vets right there that have done a lot in this league, who have won in this league, and they all three, I will be shocked if Eric Bledsoe doesn't buy in. But we know JJ and Steven Adams have bought in. Like, like, what else more can you ask for from these guys? Is that not phenomenal? Is that not an incredible cornerstone to have built in the foundation that is the culture of the Pelicans? Sign me up. Sign me up. Basketball official practices officially start this Sunday, and, and then the Pels are rolling. Then we're getting into preseason games. They're only playing three preseason games, and then we're getting into regular season games. Pelicans, they got announced they're playing the Heat on Christmas, too, which will be fun. And we'll preview that, I'm sure, before that game happens. But, Pels fans, it is 12.43 a.m. I do these really late, if you haven't noticed. So, uh... I'm going to wrap up, wrap up here, but thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate you doing that. You don't have to, and you spend a little time with us every week, and I appreciate it. It's not the easiest thing in the world talking to myself for 40 minutes, <laughs> but you come in and you listen, and, and I really do appreciate that a lot. So you, you guys are the best, and thank you so much for doing that. Make sure before you go, you subscribe and or follow depending on where you are listening to this podcast. You leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts should you be listening over there. Go check out thebirdrights.com. Check out believe.com. That way you can find some more Pelicans content on the Bird Rights and more sports podcasts on believe.com. Folks, once again, I am Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. And this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.